We no longer need Hollywood to create ever bigger fictional disasters to scare us into believing our world just may be on the threshold of Armageddon or other apocalyptic scenarios that threaten the future of humanity and the planet. But do the true origins and causing forces of the dramatic and powerful struggles we see around the globe really lie in the physical world, where they manifest and shape our communities and cultures? Or is the outer world, even the chaos and destruction, a physical reflection of the perceptions and sense of self that form our deeper collective inner life? To help us explore such a deep and profound mystery, we brought together a group of Portal's friends, all accomplished teachers, writers, thinkers, and doers. Join us now for Could Armageddon Be an Innergeddon? Throughout history, the great questions have been asked, and great research has been undertaken always expanding the territory of the known by shining a light into the unknown. Where is that cutting edge today? And can a community of people from all over the world, each carrying their own unique journey of discovery, come together to inquire at the edge of purposeful evolution through conversation? At Portals of Perception, we think it is possible, and we hope that you will choose to be a part of this exploration. Welcome to this important and special Portals conversation. Could Armageddon be an Innergeddon? We're here today to reflect on the struggle underway for humanity and the opportunities this struggle brings. Some call this time a liminal phase, others describe it as a twilight zone to be followed by a redemptive morning as humanity is experiencing tectonic shifts. So I have asked a few special friends if they could join this exploration on the intuition that this is a conversation we must now have and develop. Here is a part of what I wrote out of the blue in my message a few days ago. It said, Armageddon, derived from the Hebrew word Har Megiddo, is the prophesied location of the battle during the end times, interpreted literally or symbolically. In many traditions and narratives, the end of the world carries an invitation to the realization that we are concurrently birthing a new world and the potential of a long-awaited evolution for humanity at large. Each faith and denomination developed their unique narratives, and yet there are often many similar plot lines. I have been many times to tell Megiddo, the Hebrew for the original Armageddon when we lived in the north of Israel. For me, Mount Tabor the Mount of Transfiguration just on the other side of the valley, a few miles away, carries as significance, as the same significance or even more than the Tel Megiddo. That's, of course, the place where the scripture tells us 
was the one occasion when Jesus enabled a few of his disciples to witness the energetic, luminescent Christ form that adopted his cause. First they got scared and then they fell asleep, which is perhaps a response that occurs when the conscious faculty is not ready to assimilate the superconductivity of a very potent presence. So instead of waking up, as we are called to do in the presence of something important, there is actually a shutdown and the faculty goes to sleep to enable the unconscious processing. So what we are describing geographically is the metaphor that on one side of the valley there is the summon of Armageddon, the summon to choose between past and future, between light and dark, and on the other side of the valley there is the invitation of the transfigurational potential that carries the message that all humans can choose to rise and find the communion and the contact with the more than human realms in the presence of which what we humans seem to be able to unlock is unimaginable beauty, grace, love and wisdom. So we are asking, given that humanity finds itself in this moment of polarizing strife and turmoil, what would you have to say to this? Could the sign, the many signs of this struggle, heralding as some important religious authorities are saying and describing now an Armageddon, could that represent actually an invitation to embrace what we are fondly describing the inner Gedon, which is a way of saying the battle is not out there, the struggle is inside here in the hearts and minds of all humans. So I proposed that we come together and ask what is the core struggle for humanity currently? And what are the big emergent opportunities for us all inside this struggle? Could the turmoil represent a crucible moment for a new liberation? So friends, this is a conversation where we dare to skate to the edge. And who is ready to get us started? I perhaps say I can invite Tim. Would you get us started? And perhaps say in any way you choose, introduce yourself and offer us um, where this takes you and what it brings up for you. And then we'll invite the other voices to follow you, please. Sure. Thank you, Aviv. Um, well, my name is Tim Coates, as you can see on the screen. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And my experience of the ultimate really is a pull to union. And I think that that pull to union is a composite of opposites, the opposites being agency, which is a material world we see all around us, and communion, which is are joining together, you know, um, it's a join together, both in the material and in the spiritual. And my writing in my research has been focused on the manifestation of that pull to union, which I believe is the miracle of we, 
I think that the word we is one of the most miraculous words in the English language, and it's of immense depth and of even more immense importance. And so I like the way Dana categorized this from the quantum standpoint, from a physics standpoint, because I was recently conversing with a scientist friend who was the, in charge of R&D for a very large organization, and he was quite depressed. You know, and he rattled off a number of statistics between the violence we're experiencing in the U.S. and our political divisiveness, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, my answer to him was that I can't disagree with you. I'm very, very troubled by the outer world, but that's only half the world. There's the outer world and there's the inner world. And I think that what we need to do, and I hope what we'll do here today in this meeting, is to bring forth that inner beauty, that inner love, that inner pull to union that can manifest in a greater we. And so this inner journey is very, very important because for some people, it's prescriptive. It's a signed basis, you know, tradition, belief. It's codified, maybe is another way to say it. And for others, it's kind of a blank verse that is navigated, you know, almost in a mystical sense. And there isn't a right or a wrong. You know, we all find our own way. But I, I firmly believe that if we can have more of this inner, more of this communion come into the agency of the world, that we can affect important change. Yes, I, I want to follow the line the team started with the notion of union. But before, I want to respond, Aviv, to what you say about one of the challenges or the challenges that humanity faces. And I think one of them would be the acceleration that we found ourselves in. Everything is speeding up and accelerating and, uh, with, and breaking down at the same time. And I'm sure each one can see what's going on in many systems, education, government, family structures. And the question is, where is the human uh, looking to see the guidance? Um, from where they will draw their moral order? And it's like forcing uh, to look inside. And the question is where to look inside. And here I want to... Uh, take this notion of unity and union uh, via a story uh, that happened here uh, one time in Israel when three youngsters, teenagers, were kidnapped. And the whole country was holding its breath uh, to, for, the, for the fortune of these three youngsters. About a week later, unfortunately, they were murdered. What was so elevating in this story is that the three mothers were facing all the nation and calling for unity. And this was very outstanding. And they really asked and petitioned the whole, all the people here not to go into division and not to go into violence, but they spoke about the unity of everyone and 
just to see these three mothers that just lost their child holding themselves with dignity and respect and being a messenger for unity. I felt moved to follow Rivka because, oh, I'm Grace. I'm in the U.S. and I work with leaders and awakening individuals in a variety of ways, but uh, one way that comes to my mind to mention now is just in how we embody power and how, I don't mean the formal institutional kinds of power, but personal power, the power of our presence. And there's a lot of inner work to clarifying and purifying that so that we show up in a way that influences far beyond what we can imagine even. And so some of what in Rivka's story stood out to me is I've been thinking a lot lately for the last few years about how we conceptualize restoration or reconciliation after a harm. And these last handful of years have certainly been our shadow work or an invitation into our shadow work collectively. We have brought out into the light of day all our cruelty, all our division, all the ways that we have hurt and harmed one another. So this is a rare, rare opportunity. I think about in one of Aviv's earlier notes to us all, he two words came in there. One of them was apocalypse and one was catastrophe. And I'm a word artist. I love the etymology of words. And I know that the etymology of apocalypse is a revelation, the revealing. It's not the end of the world. It's the revealing of what is. And we've done that. And catastrophe, the etymology of that is a sudden turn. So this is our opportunity to make a sudden turn. And what I think most needs our attention is to actually have that turn be in a new direction, not more of the same. And so I think that requires evolving our conception of how we reconcile harms. So now we've brought all the harms out in the light of day and And there is an opportunity for us not to just entrench even further in victim-perpetrator dynamics where we just switch hats of who's the perpetrator. And so that's going to mean reconceptualizing what we think justice is and what we think healing is and going beyond the ideas of I am a self-righteous good person who would never do that and only the bad people over there who are less than would engage in that kind of thing. I think the inner work is for us to pull back all the projections we make on other people and own our full participation in the human ego. Every single one of us is human. And so all of humanity lives in all of us so that it isn't a different class of people who are wrong and bad. It's, it's something that we're trying to reconcile and purify in our humanity altogether. And when we do that, then we automatically clear the introjections, the ways that we've taken on the guilt for participating in all that's human. And beyond that, I think it takes rising above all of it, popping out of the whole egoic structure, you know, out of the whole identification with all of the things that we've thought made us human and understanding ourselves in a new kind of humanity that goes back to the true core and essence of who we are, which, Rivka, you were speaking of moral authority, and I would join with you in that and say it also means a new understanding of authentic amnes, you know, my being beyond and above and different than transcending all ideas I ever had of who and what I am and who and what you are and what we are together. So I think it's a profound opportunity we've given ourselves and we've raised the stakes really high with 
our environment, our ecology, our conception of humanity and groups and nations, uh, there's never been higher stakes. So the sudden turn is ours to make now. I'll rest there for now. So not surprising, everybody knows what to do. (laughs) Everybody's got some deep thinking about what we need to do as a species, as human beings. To me, the biggest question that I've been wrestling with for a while is how. And to use a term that's usually used in the, in the corporate world, how do we scale it? How do we scale the what? I got some ideas on, on what. Just by way of background, I spent 10 years practicing law and dealing with a lot of conflict. Uh, but what I realized was oh, we never talked about how to deal with real human conflict in law school. And so I kind of dug into that phenomenon. I studied and did divorce mediation work for a while and saw how if you create the right context, people's compassion shows up. In some way, you know, to quote Umberto Maturana, human compassion and empathy is built into the biology by our capacity to caress each other. The way I have been articulating exactly what Aviv invited us into by way of conversation is, oh, we have conquered outer space, meaning the physicality of of the planet. But the only way we will kind of survive as a species is by conquering our own inner space. And that, I think, is the task for humanity at this point in time. And I agree with what Grace just articulated. It's a huge opportunity because everything is collapsing. We've created this insane rat wheel that we are all on that is just, you know, killing the golden goose that we live on, which is, you know, God's gift as a miraculous creation. And, you know, God is kind of looking down and laughing, you know, metaphorically. What are they doing? What is this species doing? They have so much. There is so much potential and possibility. And so... Current writing, and this is in some ways motivated by an astrology reading that was done in the late 1980s. Ah, this person could write a really sociable, socially valuable novel. And so I am writing my way through in some sense. How do we get from where do we are to where we'd, we'd like to be? And I actually have a TV entertainment lawyer, agent, person interested uh, in this emergent story. And it's fascinating. And the edge I am on, and this is why I was so excited to receive the message of this call, the edge that I'm on is everybody agrees from all the multiple different conversations that I'm in, that the critical aspect is how do we change as human beings? How do we transform? How do we move from collapse and catastrophe into a reemergence and a rebirth of some kind. So that's what I say. The answer is not, you know, what, but it's how. How can we do that on a massive scale? There used to be a mantra in the world of conflict resolution and the world of, of mediation. Ah, they're not really ready yet. They haven't experienced enough pain. And the real question is, how much pain as a species, what we have to experience before people on a mass level finally go, geez, this is not working. I can't handle this anymore. And so that's the edge of, of exploration. I've lived with this vision 
for many years of humanity on a conveyor belt and a bell jar comes down over people's head and somebody gongs the bell jar and they come out transformed and fixed, almost the luminosity that Aviv referenced earlier. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You know, it's funny, uh, Stuart, you ask how much more pain do we have to suffer that this will happen? So it reminded me, by the way, my name is Dana and I'm from Israel. I'm working as a nurse and some time ago I uh, accompanied the person who was dying. So there was, this is not my area of expertise because I'm a midwife as well. So there was another nurse coming to the house explaining ways that we can help that person. So we asked her, how long will it be? What do you think? What is your estimation? So she said, um, she said, we have a saying that if you see the changes, like the changes in the person's condition are happening from month to month, if there is a deterioration from month to month, then it means that he has months to live. And if the deterioration is happening from week to week, so, so usually the person has a few weeks to live. And when you see it every day, something is changing. So maybe the person only have a few days to live. So if I take it to the world situation, it used to be that there were changes from century to century or from a decade to a decade or from year to year. But I think we can all agree that we, the changes that we see now are every day, changes that are unbelievable sometimes. It was mentioned here by a few people. Uh, and I think that as an Aries, I always love you know, drama. So when Aviv sent this uh, mail to us about Armageddon, I just heard the word Armageddon. There's a movie Armageddon, you know. <laughs> My imagination leads up. And I always think about the end of uh, humanity or some kind of an apocalypse with very vivid colors, you know, like meteor, plague, tsunami, something big. And then you write, what is it? Is the emergence of the human race. So when I read it, I see emergency which is an interesting connection between the emergencies that might come in such an era, in such a time, and we see them all the time. I mean, we all sit very comfortably in our chair right now, but many people don't. Uh, so what will these emergencies can bring to emerge from them? But the more I think about it is, I think that actually the real apocalypse of human race will not come from a tsunami or from a I don't know, a plague or a meteorite, but the real apocalypse is actually inner. That's the inner gathering. Because if something is very strong from the inside, if the infrastructure that is made of values and standards and principles and beliefs, if this is solid and stable, then it can withstand anything. If you think about, let's say the Jewish people, which I'm a part of. So we have, in the, during history, we met many dangers, many attempts to, you know, to kill everyone. But somehow, because the infrastructure was very strong, the nation, the people, it survived somehow. But if something is rotten from the inside, then actually it doesn't need much to ruin it. So what I see going in the world right now is actually things are getting rotten from the inside the inside of societies, the inside of nations, and inside of people. It's all connected. And then it doesn't need much 
the coronavirus, which is not a very violent virus compared to others, you can see what it costs to the world. How many the things that the world cannot handle, all the downsides, all the misfortunes, it all came up just by quite non-violent virus. I know that it made a lot of uh, people sick and die, but it's not Ebola. It wasn't like an Armageddon virus. But it, because the world was so rotten from the inside, all the system, the health system, the government system, societies, so it was like an Armageddon in many ways. So that's my start. So I think I'd like to come in <laughs> on these notes. Um, my name is Orla, Orla Kelleher, and I'm an Irish person living in the UK. And I think a couple of the hats I'd want to kind of wear in terms of voice today is one from the perspective of working in higher education, trying to bring in a new curriculum in response to the global crises. And I also work with businesses. And I also wanted to bring in a perspective around trauma. And I'm also retraining on the trauma recovery front. <laughs> I see very strong parallels between these areas. So I think, you know, a couple of notes there. Um, how much pain do we need to have before we course correct? The fact of, of all the systems breaking down. You know, that's very, very, very clear from a higher education perspective. And what you see very clearly, what I see very clearly at least, is the, the pushing up against the old and the attempt for something new to come in. And very much the new that's trying to come in, because if you look at, you know, the curriculum's response to the global crises, both environmental in terms of global warming, socially, economically. But if you look at what's behind that, you're asking much deeper questions, such as how could we destroy the planet we live on when it sustains us? That's not, it's neither logical nor moral, yet we've been so, you know, blind that we haven't seen what's in front of us. And I think someone alluded to this earlier, we're at a time where the consequences of our actions are so clear that it is time to make significant, to make pivotal change. And this aspect of pain and the inner work that's involved, I think is very key. And even from a higher education, I can perspective, I can see, you know, one of the remedial focuses we have to bring in as educators is that focus on the inner work. Now, typically business education didn't address that, you know, you might have it if you went on leadership retreats, but we're talking about a level of inner work that you don't normally get to. Grace, you alluded to more that depth of work. And it's that surfacing of what is really governing our behaviours and responses. Looking at, you know, can we get to a deeper set of human values? And in essence, if what we're doing, whether we're a person, a housewife, an educator, a business, a prime minister, if what we're doing isn't moving humanity forward and preserving life, then what is the value of it? So I think one of the things that we need to fundamentally redefine is what it means to be a human being. What does success look like for a human being? 
because I don't think you could define success as a planet that we're destroying <laughs> on the brink of social economic collapse. So I, I think it's very clear that we have gone massively out of balance. And I think one of the factors in that is also to bring in just another factor is the balance of masculine and feminine. Because you know, the masculine, and I'm, t I'm not going to speak about gender or biology, I'm just talking about traits for the moment. But if you look at a masculine trait without the balancing feminine, it really goes out of balance. And you'd see there's much more of that feminine focus trying to come in. And I think there are so many things trying to come back into union. And I think the complementarity of masculine and feminine is one of them. Bringing the whole person back in the context of reconnection. So reconnection to our own intrinsic design and the innate decencies and qualities that come from that. And then also the reconnection with the planet, the world that we live in. And to bring the trauma in just as a last bit is you know, the climate crises and trauma share the fact that they come out of a survival paradigm. Now, with trauma, what's happened, you, you get frozen in the lens of pain and experience that becomes your entire lens. And when you're coming out of trauma, you're not reaching to the higher levels of yourself. And trauma also disconnects you from your true self. It connects you from what we are naturally connected with at all levels. And I feel as a human race, we're all trying to reconnect to what is intrinsically natural at the various different levels of that and trying to find our way through that. So I think I'll pause it there, but there's more that could be said about that process of recovery from trauma and also the, the process of what we're actually facing right now. I feel pulled to follow that. Thank you. Just taking a breath. I'm Julie Kroll. I live in the geographic center of the United States. And I feel to presence what we haven't named here that's really important in talking about this intrinsic peace and what is governing our behavior and our values is to, to presence the idea that we've built a world on the illusion of separation. And that it's not only, Einstein called it the delusion of consciousness, and it, it's also a flawed and outdated scientific theory that came from Newtonian physics that said, okay, this materialistic, flawed, old science, and it's also a developmental stage of our consciousness seeing ourselves as separate, becoming self-aware, self-reflective, self-conscious was a developmental stage that we as a species went through and are going through. And some are now beyond that stage, but for the most part, most of the human species is still in that developmental stage of consciousness of seeing themselves as separate. So when we address that illusion, of separation and when we begin to heal that peace i mean we can look at whole systems breakdown widespread destruction global crises all of that comes from that false belief that we are separate and we're not and one of the leading scientists in this 
domain, Jude Curvan, has summarized all the unitive science. We'll bring it back to that word of unity and, and unitive and a unified whole worldview helps us shift out of this. And she says, we don't, mind and consciousness aren't something we have, but indeed what we in the whole world are. And when we transition into that awareness, there's no separation between us and the world. There's no separation between the inner that we're talking about and the outer. There's literally no separation. And when we go there and we allow ourselves to come into that intrinsic wholeness, that innate inherent capacity to live for the good of the whole, we are redesigning a world. To me, I don't like to say, oh my gosh, it's, it's Armageddon, all the systems and structures are breaking down and, and now what? It's because we've evolved in our consciousness and we understand we're at that next stage of evolution. So the old system and structures no longer serve us. They don't represent who we are and the truth of who we be, that intrinsic that we're talking about here. So as we're redesigning and recreating and reimagining our world from this place of unity, we have to recreate everything. How we educate, how we do healthcare, how we do governance, how we do law, how we do justice, how we do business on this planet, everything. It's time to reimagine everything. And so I'll just close with this, this stage for now of as we're reimagining everything, it's really important to understand from my perspective, I'm feeling this, this Armageddon, this Armageddon is, is really the deconstruction of our evolutionary potential from that place of ego. We've mastered ego, we mastered separation, we've mastered the technology and all these other pieces that, that have helped us understand unity and diversity because it's not uniformity, it's really unity and diversity. And because we've mastered that, now we can let that go and the inner Geddon really is, how do we step into this next evolutionary stage, which this is what I wanted to close with. Evolution biologists say, and Elizabeth Satoris is, is the one who gave me these words that I love it, is that as every species on this planet for thousands and thousands of years, have matured from late adolescence, the consumption, competition, chaos, conflict stage into early adulthood, we learn how to create cooperative communities that care for all life, which goes to Stuart's how. It's in cooperative communities that care for all life, meaning the life of our planet is our life. Our life is the life of the planet. There's no separation in, in species and, and how we've looked at the world and, and where we're at. So I just love that prescriptive as an invitation for all of us to move into cooperative communities that care for all life. Yeah, I'm, I'm Peter and I'm part of the Portals team. I would say that one of my earliest, I think probably my earliest conscious memory I was observing some adults and, you know, I was maybe four or five years old 
And the thought I had was, it's not supposed to be like this. And I'm not really sure what I knew at that moment, but it's been a thread my whole life in the paths I've taken. And as I grew older, I thought I'd never really see what I thought that different world might be. Pretty optimistic, though, that I'm going to be able to see that world that is much closer to the way it should be, probably sooner than later. And that's exciting to me. So the way I would look at the phase that I think we've been in for maybe, I don't know, five or 10 years is separating the wheat from the chaff, if I were to put a phrase on it. And it's the, you know, if there's an elevation, if there's an upgrade, if there's a evolution to be had, things need to be left behind and new things need to be reached for and stretched to. And so I think that's very important in the inner life of every person sorting in ourselves who we want to be in, in this place and time because we've lived in a very kind of laissez-faire culture that says anything can go if you find your tribe. But I don't think that's the way of the universe. The universe has criteria and, um, and it supports the things that are supporting it. You know, so if the universe is trying to do something and I want to be a part of that, I need to make the choices in myself for the, my intentions and my reasons to be a part of that wholeness, that oneness, that evolutionary stretch. So for me, the power, power today, inner power comes from being declared in oneself and having sorted the whys, the why I do things, what, why do I want to do them? And the further I can find, dig into that, I think the more powerful and connected I can be with the, the greater purposes unfolding, as I would put it. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. So let me build on this and invite us to do a round two, because what we are hearing in this imaginal cell that we have together created here for a brief moment, we're hearing from different voices. The, Julie, you talked about the coming through that fantasy of separation. Grace, you talked about the need to unpack and dissolve and come through that egoic holding. Tim, you talked to that as well in, in different ways. Ola, you, you invited us to come through the trauma and, and the awareness that trauma separated us, separates us from the access to who we are. You have all in different voices described the, the sense of the, the cooperative communities, the, the unity in diversity, the sense of recognizing that we have an opportunity through this, which we call the inner Gedon, through this journey to rediscover and remember and get retethered to who we truly are as humans. The tree is outside my house. They stand erect because they are connected to their roots 
and therefore to the source of food, the birds, the deers that uh, roam free here and the wildlife, they are mobile to find their food. And one of the senses and one of the themes I hear in you describing it in different words is the, the sense of call to inner values, to the call for the, the moral compass. It has the invitation that we humans too, we are meant to be connected and never separated, never without those higher sources of nourishment and food. And that humanity for too long has been running on empty, separated from inside this illusion of separation, inside the egoic structure. And that if this is a crucible time, then the birthing that comes through this is that individually, collectively, humanity at large, if this is an initiatory experience for humanity this coming decade or two, then one of the ways it expresses itself is that, that we together, individually and together, we get retethered to the sense of what humanity is about and what humans, what we actually are as universal beings, as Julie, as you said, when we remember to rediscover the maturation of being a human inside the universe, and some of you spoke to the, the rediscovery and redefinition, all I think you said, of what being a human is. So I would invite that we come into a second round and invite you that you speak further to what are you discovering, what are you finding in that inner journey? And in the sense of the experience of that inner journey coming through, because as Grace, as you said, whatever we see out there is in here. So the absolution of projection and introjection is in finding a way to do that absolving integration on the inside and then emerge with that such that we are prepared to let go and gently put down what is no longer needed in the future. That's how I will describe it. I'd invite that we hear through your voices about the inner journey and the inner work that individually and collectively we must now engage in because part of the answer to the how and to the scale is yes, that's the work in front of us to be done. So who wants to get us going into round two, please? So Aviv, I've been wanting to, I'm a compulsive question asker. <laughs> it's been killing me not be able to ask each of the speakers questions and clarifications. But one of the things that Julie said that just resonated with me so much is this whole thing about the illusion of separation. And it occurs to me, and it sounds like others would have a similar experience, but I want to ask about that is that you know my journey was about getting through that illusion of separation and it was a very long journey maybe 25 years you know i first turned to all the major religions eastern and western and for me i'm not speaking to anyone else i could not find it there and i finally you know as we've talked before we you know pursued more of a mystical path to lose that illusion of separation. And it seems like it's a three beat story. You know, it's, it's to lose that illusion, which requires letting go of self. But what's problematic about that is every survival 
instinct that we have that's hardwired into our physical biology is survival. And it's the most unnatural thing over the, the world to let go of self. But if we don't let go of self, we cannot walk through or overcome the illusion of separation. So what I'm troubled by, and I'll try to make this close here, make this succinct, as I talk about coming together and finding the deeper, deeper values, the deeper human values that someone spoke to with my friends who have not themselves pursued a mystical path, the hangup is always on how can I love this other person? You know, if I'm very liberal, how can I love this conservative? If I'm very conservative, how can I love this liberal? Because everything they believe in is anathema to what I believe in. How can we ever come together? And, and I think what this group would probably say is that, well, first, we have to let go of some of those things to find those deeper human, you know, uh, traits and to really participate in this pull to union. But I think it's... a I don't know any other way than going through the personal journey. I don't know if there's a collective journey we can do. It seems to me like the personal inner journey must inherently precede the outer collaborative community, but I'll offer that up for discussion. Thank you, Tim. I have a story. Years ago, I was working on a multi-author book project, and it was about progressive movements within the, the legal system. And all of the authors gathered for a weekend retreat and everybody got a little story to tell. And one of the, the authors in introducing himself said that his work was doing nothing but capital appeals, meaning he only represented murderers. And everybody looked at him and said, how do you do that? You know, how can you do that? And he said, well, I always go visit my client in jail and I always find something to love about them regardless of the highness act that they did, there is a humanity that is in there. I wanted to directly respond a little bit to this, to this edge between the egoic structure that we've all been steeped in. I mean, it's just part of the culture that we've been brought up in. And so as we struggle, and I'm sure we all struggle in some way, slash, or get beyond the struggle and just chuckle. That, <laughs> that notion of trying to balance and trying to understand and trying to step through so many junctures so many times a day, you know, absent living in a total community setting where there, there is none, and, and perhaps that's where we all need to be headed. But this notion of the yin and yang, the back and forth, the me versus them, it's a constant. Once you step onto that knowing and awareness path that we're each a cell in this larger configuration, large you know, organism. The notion of, at least what he triggered for me was a, re a recollection that when I was a kid driving around growing up in the New York City metro area, I guess because my father was in the building industry, I was just aware of all the construction that was going on all the time. And in some ways, I couldn't wait for the world to be finished. <laughs> and based upon the, the, the construct of, you know, we are a species in process, 
in some ways, the task seems at the moment in time to kind of help to complete the, the evolution and, and finishing of the species in some ways. You know, people talk about the U.S. as an experiment in democracy that's in progress. And in some ways, this whole planet is a big experiment in evolution and where might we or will we get to? I mean, there's no question that the, the physical planet will survive until there's some catastrophic event in the universe. But it's a question, and I think it's, you know, nobody knows the answer right now. What will happen to us as a species? Pick up, that's <laughs> already a lot. But i just try and pick up on a couple of things. Um, from the perspective of trauma recovery, which I've been kind of on the journey on for quite some time, and there's a few things. First of all, that line of the difference between the part in us that seeks survival and the parts in us that are separate to that, that are untouchable really by life experience, that exist in the kind of deeper, more intrinsic and the higher aspects of ourselves. So reparenting is one of the phrases I use for myself in talking in working through the individual work. And I'm going to offer an example, just as example, just from something that happened recently, just maybe as an example. But in the last week, I had a difficult thing happen. It was a very practical thing um, and it didn't work out. I was trying to buy a house, for example, and it just didn't work. But what was really amazing was the reaction I had to it not working out. <laughs> so, over that, after getting the news and having to make a very difficult decision, I went through a couple of days of a very difficult reaction. Unfortunately, I'm kind of have developed a lot of tools now for, for working, but I dropped right into trauma that was connected to a very, very difficult experience when I was 16 that was connected to the previous 16 years. It was quite a big thing. But I was watching this river of, I was flooded with, you know, a whole range of very difficult emotions, anger, grief, <laughs> despair. I was kind of watching this river run through, you know, and it was so amazing. By the time the river ran through, I, I began to recon. I followed it to the source and I realized, oh, my God, I had a phrase that kept turning up, which was to do with failure. It was kind of in the realms of nothing works out for me. Things always fail. And I was able to connect that back, right back to my experience with, you know, a particular thing that I always put with my father. And I realized that that had got coded very deeply into me. And I had to redefine failure. In fact, I, I, made, I took the position that I took it out of my dictionary and have said to the family now, there is, we're not allowing that terminology in because of what it connects it to. So one thing I've learned from and I think it's, you know, if we look at the individual work, we were never brought up in ways that allowed, that showed us how to process difficult emotions. But that's, you know, if you think about what it means to be human, that's part of what it means. It's a natural thing to actually process through emotions. And the wonderful thing about trauma and the human body, the human design, is that it will keep bringing you back to something that needs resolving over and over again. Now, if you don't have that awareness, you might think, my God, this terrible thing, this pattern keeps happening to me. 
but it's actually your savior. So the mindset around being able to do, you know, what we call shadow work or trauma recovery work is really important because the more times you go through those difficult emotions in oneself and, and the psychologies, and it's not just psychology or emotions, there's a physiological effect that goes with it. Your nervous system gets affected. Your biology gets affected. But the thing to, the thing that always keeps me going is that is only part of you. And there is a deeper and higher part that is able, and even at the age you are now, you're able to access, even in very simple terms, the wisdom that you have now that you didn't have at the time that those traumas occurred. So the reparenting, the, the kind of mothering and fathering of yourself through these difficult events with the mindset that they're not out to get you, they're actually a, a natural, beautiful, genius design feature that will not let you alone until you've resolved those things in you that need resolving. And with every resolution, you reach that place of stillness, connection, peace. You go through the storm into the eye, and in the eye, you can connect to everything. And you, you know, you might have that moment and then something else happens and you go through it again, but the more you go through it, the more you realize you will not be claimed by this. And in a way, I wonder if we're in that position as a human race, that in the face of what we're facing, and it will, I think the next 10, 20 years, they are the critical decades in terms of response. But what if we are able and able to teach ourselves and each other how to go through this and support each other through this, to reach to those deeper values? And as Peter was saying, that intrinsic reasoning that you must do, yeah, to build that inner assembly, but know that there is a part of you that will always be untouched by the worst things you've ever seen, witnessed, experienced, embodied, been printed by. There is something else there. But to make that conscious connection and to keep coming back to it and allowing the things that surface to flow through is quite, a, you know, it is human race work. <laughs> And learning how to be with each other through that, individually and collectively, is something that, yeah, I feel is very important. I would love to follow that, Orla. That was beautiful. The way that I have been engaging and working with all of this myself and with others is, is in the paradox of two simultaneous interlocking <laughs> ways of being with this. One is the aspect that you know, we each must do the inner work, the trauma work, the shadow work, the ego disillusion, the development and, you know, deconstruction of ego, you know, all that stuff that's ours to do and taking back our projections. And there's brilliant teachers out there with how-to manuals about how to do it. And we can get lots of help from therapists and Byron Katie and adult development. There's a million different ways of looking at how we do that work. And so that I view as the work for each of us to participate in undoing some of the harms that we have participated in, and also in creating a vessel of our own being that is ready for the other part of the paradox, which is the action of grace in our lives, that there are breakthrough moments 
that are completely not earned. They, they are given. They're breakthrough moments we couldn't have predicted that came out of left field that are just, in my conception, the action of grace. And we can't make them happen. We can't do enough good work or earn enough brownie points. So there's, there's nothing we can do to make it happen. And sometimes it just comes crashing in and breaks everything open. And in my life, sometimes that has looked, I've had the opportunity to be engaged by some of my best and most powerful teachers, some people who've done some horrific diagnosed psychopaths I've worked with who've done some horrific, sadistic and cruel things. And it has been like a koan for me to engage with. I spent years like, how can I forgive this person? How can I make sense of this person? And that impossible koan just at one point broke me open into a complete popping out of the entire realm of making sense of the psychology and the egoic and the interpersonal nature of it so that I can hold in both hands. I prepare myself by doing the inner work to be a vessel that can receive the action of grace when it comes. And I know that that call and response emerge simultaneously. So even that owning of that paradox eventually breaks down so that there is no difference between my inner work and the action of grace. Like that all of it is just the emergence and arising of life working on its own for itself, for each of its manifestations in further and further blossoming. And some of it is really uncomfortable and painful and looks horrific and has that beacon of light right in the middle of it, that if you can stay in the struggle, can break open. And it doesn't mean that we don't sometimes lose things we really value in the meantime. It's not to diminish in any way the loss of people who've lost loved ones or who've been injured in horrific ways. It's not to diminish the experience of pain, but to say that from a higher level, as we break out of the identifications with the individual that we think that we are, and this is speaking to what we've all been, we've all been using words like ego or separation. We're all talking about the same thing. But as we break out of that and begin to see and experience as life itself, we can hold that paradox in a way I think that's very life-giving and liberating. And for the people that I work with who sometimes are working at different levels of awareness around that, I think it has to be very personal and concrete. That person right in front of you who's so annoying right now, you know, to be able to work with that person. I work with a lot of uh, feminist organizations around reproductive justice and a lot of advocates. And so these are people who've really identified with a particular perspective and are doing really good work in many ways at certain levels of reality to transform our social structures. And I ask those people, are you willing to have that person you see as your adversary succeed? Are you willing to see that person changing? Because sometimes we get really identified with having an enemy and we have to be willing to see that person we have unconsciously hated become the person we love. And that requires humility and it requires a willingness to let go of our own identifications, our own structures of what we think makes us valuable and worthy and safe in order to move into the complete unknown where everyone is part. So I'll land there. Yes, I want to, to continue from some of the things, uh, Grace, what you said. In my work with my inner self and development, um, I gradually discover that uh, 
when I'm willing to take responsibility um, about actions and about things that usually I see them in others, like I project them in others. So it's easier to see maybe that this or that person did something to me. Uh, but when I really want to make a change and some kind of influence, I can spot it in myself, even if it's uh, in a different uh, measure, different proportion. So for me, the forgiveness is, first of all, forgiving myself. Because I think most of the, most of the psychologies, we are very similar in most of the psychologies. And uh, we are not that different from other people. I think what uh, makes the difference of the line is if we find a, a way, our creative way, to do it differently, to respond differently, if we find a different pathway. And this is also contagious. And uh, when, you, when I find something that I could uh, get over, it's, it's transmitting, even if I don't speak about it. So this brings back to the inner Gedon, as Aviv in, uh, proposed, uh, because there is a lot of um, wisdom and intelligence that can be revealed when we work in our inner interior. And as Ola say, we are much more than we discover or we know at present. And it's also the willingness to discover the much more, the much more than we are, and therefore the much more that my enemy, so-called, is. Uh, because in, even, if the, even in the worst criminals, they still, I want to believe, that they still have this uh, spark. And uh, yeah, and how can, are we committed not to condemn them but to work for this uh, rather than to condemn them and by this to, to enlarge the problem. Um, yeah, so I think that the challenge is also to find new ways, like other people said, to find new ways that are now seem emerging. And interesting, the connection between emerging and emergence because this is another thing that uh, when things are very emergent, in, at the point of emergency, you like facing a wall. And that point can be a shifting moment. Like if you're going to lose something or something that is very dear, uh, suddenly we are less complacent and we can, okay, so in this point there is a shift. And uh, I think there is much potential in facing this line above the line and below the line and how we handle and what kind of work is there uh, to do this shift from below the line to above the line. And then to discover something new, to discover something I, it doesn't come from my reactiveness, doesn't come from my impulses, my old impulses. Maybe I can find a new way that I can do something and then, okay, do it again and again and again and again. It's not one timer. Stuart, you were talking before about you were waiting for the world to be finished, that the building will be finished. 
and it's funny, but I can identify with that uh, feeling or with that uh, way of going on in the world. You know, you're waiting for something to happen, you're waiting for all that mess to solve itself somehow. And in the waiting, which is mostly unconscious, that's my feeling about it, is I feel that I cannot wait if I don't have a hope in the situation. And because things get so messy and... Uh, warped many times I find myself every few months sitting down and writing a list of the things that gives me hope right now and at the beginning it was easy because you know there were a few things that were <laughs> on the surface but then I made the rule not to use the same thing so each time I do it I have to look further into myself further into the strength of humanity and further into the universe and actually the reasons of why we're here and the picture had to grow. It had to be a bigger picture and a bigger picture and to look at things from broader perspective. And I find that this is where most of the time, this is where hope for me resides in the bigger picture and in, in the bigger perspective. One of the things that I can see is that it feels as if the whole planet is being placed now on a big uh, cauldron and a fire is warming this cauldron and everything is getting, you know, the heat is being turned up and everything is getting more heated and more heated. So you see things getting more extreme on the downside, but you also see the upside. The good things are getting the more, more special. They're getting more interesting. They're getting... If you, if you spoke about education, so I think we know now things we didn't know before. Or if you speak about how to handle trauma. So I think you know things today that 100 years ago nobody knew how to handle it. And it's everywhere. Everywhere you see there is, and it's, it's with the Armageddon, you know, you have the, the things that go down and the things that go up. So what gives me hope in that uh, picture is that I feel that the things that goes down, like the bad Armageddon, are things which are mostly local and they have a limited lifespan because their source of powers are, are local and limited and, and short. But the things that give me hope, the, the bigger picture, yeah, the universal picture, it is eternal. And the source of the things that feeds it come from far away and from back into time and, and deep inside us and into God and into the purpose of why we're here. And, and these are the things that feeds the good changes, the hopeful changes. So eventually the fuel that feeds all the lower aspect of what's going on today will be finished. It has to finish. It has to be finished because it's local. But the good things, they will keep, they will be fed forever because something which is universal wants them to go to go on so in that picture this is one of the things that gives me hope but it's a journey to keep looking for new things that give me hope and in that i think that this hope can be contagious uh, to others as well uh, because i believe that everything that most i mean most of us we will not be I don't know, presidents, famous people who move other people. Most of us will meet, you know, the people around us, the people we, we love, the people we work with. 
the people we have some kind of influence on their life and it will be it will infiltrate from us to them to circles around us so hope you Aviv, were telling the describing the story of Armageddon there was the option to choose a side up here but there was also another side to choose and so I think that's something that I see going on a lot there's it's very seductive to be led into I'm on this side or I'm on this side of something but actually the thing that brings those differences together is over there and, and to me the over there is is a spiritual connection it's uh, the purpose of life well you know what is the purpose of being human what is the purpose of us all being here as a species what is the purpose of the unfolding of the universe those are the Kind of questions and I may not have the answers to them but I can at least say I want to be additive to that process and not concern myself with this process as much you know this will be as it is and but if I can reach to that so much of these other problems just begin to fall away by nature because when you hold this bigger thing you can't be dwelling so much in the details of the of the ego type of thing and on portals we ask the question where does the future come from and I, you know if you look at history you might say it, it drops in on certain people it, it you know comes into this genius for a invention or artwork or music or whatever it might be or a leader you might you might say that that's how history that's how the future lands here but a uh, You know, I think probably more than ever, we don't see those individuals arising. And what we do see on the planet is that the whole, the whole planet is experiencing something together right now. So I think that gives us an opportunity that's probably certainly never been here to choose something else, both individually and as a species. That has a greater purpose and a great and, and will give meaning to the things we do and act as a reference to make the decisions we need to make so I think it's an in, interesting opportunity I mean a, an amazing opportunity because so much of what's happening around the world is, is happening to everybody at the same time say Peter just to jump in real quick on that I mean I think we all need um, touchstones. You know, to brick to center ourselves because it's easy to get out of bounds. And one thing I resonated with as you were speaking is that one of the touchstones I've been using more recently that's helping me is that when I get upset and out of bounds and and just upside down, I try to remember that what if I really believed that I'm about life instead of life being about me? And when you turn it around like that, I mean, I think probably most of us here, probably all of us agree that we're about life and that life isn't about us. But if we can come to that realization in our moments of trauma, I found it to be helpful. So. Absolutely. I think of that often. What do I want to add to this situation? Not what do I want to take from it, but what can I offer into it? What can I generate toward it? How can I, how can I be a An addition, not a, not a drain on it or a, or a negative on it. 
So, yeah, I agree with it. There's a couple of pieces here that help answer my question. What am I experiencing in this? And what is my inner journey that I think is important from this conversation of hope in the eternal to the genius, the innate genius that's coming through of where does the future come from? And it's, it's coming from that innate genius. And in my experience lately, I just want to presence the honoring the direct experience of unity whether we call that the mystical experience of how did Peter know that when he was five years old? How did Stuart know that when he's driving through New York City? You know, it's like we're having these mystical or spiritual experiences or non-ordinary states of consciousness. And more and more of humanity are having these direct experiences of unity. Unity is the, the most common experience of, of any mystical experience. And we've all learned how to put those in the closet or, or hide that because we don't want to be crazy, right? Our, our world labeled that as crazy. And, and so for me, I had a near-death experience when I was four years old and saw a different world and saw the underpinnings of unity in in that eternal place when i think about the question that dana answered about hope in the eternal is that there's this designing intelligence right and we're all getting glimpses of this unity so for me in my experience one of the pieces of my journey is to really move beyond the self-development and the, the self-improvement and the journey to oneness and the, the spiritual path, but to really move into the place of self-astonishment, of how do we get into self-astonishment, which to me is a way of, of going into that timeless, selfless, effortless place of those peak experiences or the flow states or whatever we want to call that mystical where that innate genius comes through and so moving out of just this solitary experience of the mystical into more group and collective experiences of learning new technologies of how do we come together in a group and then literally align with that designing intelligence and bring through that collective genius that's not our collective consciousness but that divine inspiration that comes so directly when we open ourselves to that larger field and i i just want to pair that with this as a psychotherapist psychologist myself the conversation of trauma there there's just two pieces here i think a big part of all of our trauma is this wound of separation this illusion that we've been living in but there's this new research out that's really exciting which is healing trauma with this experience of unity where they're literally inducing flow states, inducing these mystical states, and even just one glimpse of eternity in these flow states is healing trauma for good. 
in the military with post-traumatic stress and, and severe depression and anxiety. There's this new research out, which is really exciting for us to follow is that this glimpse of what we're all talking about in unitive consciousness, this, this larger ineffable experience of unity that we're all waiting for the world to, to live from that blueprint, that that glimpse can heal those wounds and that trauma is is an incredible possibility that's exciting so anyway i just wanted to drop that in and i love this conversation thanks thank you stuart you want to come in before i bring us to a pause please yes so just briefly so thank you julie my sense is that everyone on this call has had that experience and that everyone on this call has got a safety net that they live on and, and to me, the real question is, how can we take what you just alluded to, Julie, and scale that on a, on, on a massive scale to shift humanity as it currently exists? Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. And, and thank you all. So this is not a conversation that we can land or want to land. What I am realizing as I'm listening to all that is being offered here today, that one of the elements that is emerging here for me is normalizing this conversation. You have each, we have all been in, in various pockets and circles and situations for maybe three, four, five decades to reveal some of our ages here <laughs> around these inquiries. But there is a certain normalizing that's occurring through each and every one of your contributions and what you're describing. And together with that, Okay, when Ola, when you describe the, the revelation of being in the river of grief and pain and, and struggle and how within it there is the brilliance of the design of a universe, of a self-compassionate, self-caring universe that forever introduces the potential for update or healing or corrective, redemptive process and therefore it introduces the bug in the system. The idea of solving the bug was there in the software of the universe before the engineers in Silicon Valley discovered that that needed to be a job description, right? And we, human life, is the crowning achievement of the universal partnership through us, the universe, the creative force is actually redeeming its own evolutionary process, discovering by giving us choice the permission to go through this process. And so what is so unique and important about this time that Julie just spoke to is we are at the point in the game where the, the intensity, the speed, the heat level, as some of you are describing, reached a point where instantaneous transition, instantaneous shift, instantaneous healing can take place. You may be thinking, oh, I need three years or 30 years to heal this or to develop through this. No. What used to take 30 years perhaps can now happen in three months or three weeks or three hours or three seconds because something is engaging in life, in the fullness of life, in, in the flow of life. And so what I am recognizing 
uh, was part of the call and is the call of this, the invitation that we make here through your various stories is, and comments and presencing is normalizing these permissions in the small and large moments of life wherever we go. And there, Stuart, is your scaling technology. Because some of the worry that we're not scaling is still, uh, to borrow Julie's invitation, is because we are not seeing it. We are seeing ourselves as separate. But if we recognize that in 20 seconds of exchange, there is a transference and there is a merging that allow unification, that is the most advanced scaling technology the universe introduced. The transference of possibility is the scaling of life. So I thank you so very much for this starter and the collective presencing that, that we generated here is more than anything an invitation to anybody watching us to join the conversation and to co-create this conversation beyond the time we've had today, wherever you are with whoever you're with and come join us here also in the portals experiment to further these conversations with us and with everybody joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Portals of Perception. If you're enjoying these dialogues, we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash portals. Visit portalsofperception.org for exclusive content. Please share this episode with a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.